and welcome back to So Very Wrong About Games. This is a podcast about board gaming. I'm here with my great friend, Mark Bigney. How are you today, Mark? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Always good. We're just going to throw out some thank yous, mostly to Huey of the Huey and Dewey duo for the electronics he lets me use. I also am going to, you know, my sources that I get the news and information from. I want to say, you know, Board Game Geek. I want to thank them for running such a great website. And Tabletop Gaming News is another website I frequent to get some information from. So I just want to throw, you know, give thanks to the people that, you know, go through the effort of making my job easier. That's mighty big of you, Walker. I hate to break it to you, though. The person that you want to thank for use of electronics is not Huey, it's Dewey. Sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I get them mixed up. They're so similar. It's true. So, on this show, we're going to talk about the game that we reviewed last year. We're going to talk about games that we played this week. News and why it doesn't really matter. And because we're on the summer schedule, we're going to have just the topic, which is... 20% off the top. 20% off the top. This is... So, as to explain, we couldn't think of a pithy way to put the title in, so we just stuck with the uh, lazy way out of a snide reference. These are games where the setup and or the rules explanation is sometimes as long or nearly as long as the game itself. Sometimes you can get away with this, sometimes you can't, but it's always striking. And so we wanted to talk about that. Perfect. The game we reviewed last year was Lords of Hellas. And I just talked about Lords of Hellas last week. You did. And how much I still love it. And I'm so looking forward to these Kickstarter goal, stretch goals that, you know, are going to be shipping like a year after the actual campaign. Uh, Yeah. Well, some Americans have gotten their hands on the extras. Awakened Realms, in its continuing wisdom, has managed to botch even this tremendously late rollout of things. Many people have their Apollo that's effectively glued into one piece, which is a big problem because you need to be able to separate out the monuments. Uh, There's some board issues, there's some card issues, whatever. The publisher has promised to make good, and they're sending out replacements to people whose Apollos won't separate. They're going to have a, a, a big playmat, which I know will make you very happy. Walker Love loves him the big playmats, so it's to solve the board issue, and they're going to sell it at cost, which is, I think, a, a very good way to, to solve it. Look, people rave about Awakened Realms, but this is just a, a minor aside. Quite frankly, it's unfortunate that, generally speaking in our hobby, the way to get a re- really, really good reputation is number one, run a good blog. And number two, when you make errors, make good on satisfying your customers. And that's great. The problem is, is that the publishers who don't make these errors in the first place tend not to recruit such a rabid following, right? The ones who don't have an error-laden release schedule. And Awakened Realms messes these things up on the regular. So yes, I love the fact that they are making good, and I'm sure at great expense and great difficulty, and I don't doubt their passion or their devotion. Just it's... It, uh, they seem to get a pass. Anyway, uh, I did want to question you about one particular thing, though, about Lords of Hellas, because I agree with you. Lords of Hellas is a great game. I'm looking forward to the stretch goals. Last time you were playing in particular, you were enraged about how one very seldom used action was 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 being carried out, specifically the usurp action. Usurp action. We talked about how, how we thought it was useless and not used very often. Well, it, and- it was, that it was strange, that it was a, a, another odd, sharp edge in a game with a fair number of sharp edges in it. True, and I had no problem with it being used. It's the fact that uh, you need to have a certain token to use it, and I thought for sure that that would use up the token and that you wouldn't be able to you know use the usurp action again. But no, you don't actually lose the token when you do it. You can just keep doing it, not essentially over and over again, because you have to reset your action board in order to do it again. But still, the fact that you can do it as often as you want, as long as you keep the token, seems a little overpowering. 
Well, in the right context, because because that I think actually us- the usurper action I think is a very very good highlight of the ways in which Lords of Hellas has flaws. I agree with you. Lords of Hellas is fabulous. I love it, but it's a strange action that doesn't work the way a lot of the other actions do, and most of the time it's pointless. Because due to a variety of vicissitudes, you can just march right back in and take it back with at very little cost. But in those contexts where someone can't march right back in and take over after usurp action, it starts to become very, very viable. Maybe overpowered, maybe not, but that's not the point. The point is, is that you have these rule subsystems that most of the time don't matter. But when they matter, they're tremendously consequential. And it's it's unfortunate because it's not a clean game. It's not a streamlined game. What you get out of that is worth it, we both think, especially in terms of the fact that it's got multiple victory conditions and we will love that and all those other cool little bits of flavor. It's just a bit of a creaky monster at times. And I think a usurp action is a really good highlight of that. I want to touch on you talking about how they you know went over and above to fix their mistakes. And I just did an unboxing video for Seventh Continent. And did you see that box? Yes. It said second edition reprints and it was... Like a full set of cards. Like, they reprinted the entire cards, yeah. Yeah, they copied... I haven't, I haven't looked into why. Did you look into why? Like, yeah, I, there, I... there was a printing error, and the cards didn't match perfectly, so they just reprinted everything. So it's effectively like another copy of the game. Unlike Awakened Realms, who after two and a half years, they didn't notice that these cards mat- mismatched radically. The size difference is huge. And they didn't notice that their board didn't work. And said they just shipped out a whole bunch of copies. So, yeah, there are different ways to, to take care of errors. And, again, I don't mean to slag Awakened Realms too much. It's just I, there's this disconnect between the passion of their fan base and the nature of their quality control that I find a little bit mysterious. That's all. Yeah, I'm, looking, I'm really interested to read. Like I said, it was one of these Kickstarters where, you know, I, I enjoyed the games. I ordered it and then just looked nothing else into it. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, never followed it afterwards, just waited for it to finally arrive. That being said, that was Lords of Hellas that we reviewed a year ago, roughly. Now on to the games we played this week. I got to play Junk Art. We hadn't played Junk Art in a while, and uh, I busted it out. And it was really it was really highlighted some of Junk Art's strengths, because I started setting up the game, and there were a number of people who hadn't played before, and then more people kept showing up. And it was like, do you still have room? Sure. Do you still have room? Absolutely. And we kept going until we hit the six players. And, you know, the rules explanation took 15 seconds, and we had a marvelous time producing all manner of strange bits of art. We really do think that as far as stacking games are concerned, Junk Art is the one to beat. The victory conditions are, you know, not superb, but that is a common failing of stacking games. And I, I really wish that uh, it were in a smaller package because then I could bring it around more. But I got to say that Junk Art is always, it, it's never disappointed. And yeah, we really need to try them at work. I really like the fact that there's all those different, you know, cities you go to. So exactly. it's all sorts of different mini games, all sorts of different victory conditions. And they're all very interesting, all very fun. And so it's like playing a different game every time, sort of, you know what I mean? It's all sort of the same sort of stacking things together. But it's it's really interesting how they've, put so much into one game. Absolutely. Previous stacking games like Manju or Sac Noir or uh, things like that would just have a list of variants. It's like, well, you don't want to stack this way, stack this way. You don't want to stack this way, stack the other way. And what they did in Junk Art, which is super clever, is they said, all right, we're just going to curate these rule sets and we're going to internalize the fact that, you know, stacking in and of itself allows for many different possible victory conditions and many different dynamics. Semi-co-op, building off of other people's towers, last person standing, tallest tower, things like that. And you 
you're, you're absolutely right. It, it obsoletes pretty much every other stacking game. And I, you know, I joke that we still haven't got to play Men at Work. I'd be hard-pressed to imagine Men at Work eclipsing Junkard as my favorite, precisely for that reason. You just get so much variety and so much novelty in uh, a game of Junkard and the variety of pieces. I know we rave about this every time. It's one of those easily forgotten details. You might think, I'll just get a whole bunch of random shapes together and you've got a stacking game. But the difference between something like that and Junk Art is that in Junk Art, they very, very carefully studied and curated the different ways uh, pieces fit together. I played Junk Art over a dozen times, and I still see people putting things together in novel ways that I haven't seen before. Really is a wonderful product. Had a great time with Junk Art. I should really remember to bring it around more often because it it and it has its its uh, its fans, and you even get to make silly nonsense talk about artistry while you're doing it. That's right. And so that is Junk Art by Pretzel Games. All right, I got to finally got to play the new Claustrophobia sixteen forty three. Oh man, I, I'm nailed on it! it. I nailed it two in a row. Anyway, so yeah, Claustrophobia sixteen forty three with the new components. I have I question the the art decisions like with the con the harsh contrast with the white and the red and the black but other than that i really like how they tied everything together with the skulls instead of you know locking in the dice just putting on the skulls for wounds and uh a little bit weird how they the numbers like the one through one through six they have this number two that looks a little weird and they used it in some places but not in others so it's a little odd that way but other than that it's the same old claustrophobia same old great system, one of the greatest two-player skirmish games that there are. As we were going through the new components, and as as I was reminding Walker of the rules, because it's been a while since we last reviewed Claustrophobia, actually, and when the components look different, it's often different, difficult to remember the rules of a game when you haven't played it uh, for a while. And you were just constantly mentioning minor usability problems, and I agreed with all of them. You know, whether it's the numbers, whether it's the color scheme, whether it's the kind of icons that they used rather than text keywords, because this is the same trick that Monolith has pulled before, right? It's not nearly as bad as it was for Batman. Batman, they made everything language independent, although not because it's still French and English on the backside of, of the things. But they just love putting icons where a little bit of text reminder would, would save you a lot of time and headache. I, I realize that this would be pr in production increase in cost, but what have you. And there are still no player aids in Claustrophobia, and there really should be. There's only a small handful of abilities, but having a player aid would be very nice. All of that having been said, this is a masterful re-edition of a game in the way that it's implicated the best parts of the expansions, and it started out as such a wonderful game to begin with. I'm glad you enjoyed the new edition, and it really has captured the original brilliance. I agree with you about the, the, the visual choices, though. I miss the cute trogs. I miss the pre-painted miniatures. I didn't even mind too, too much that it was repurposed Formula D dashboards that they used for, for the hero dashboards. Just the, 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 you're right, the harsh black on red or white on red color palette is just a little jarring. But all of that having been said, all of these are niggles in what is a masterful product that was offered at a very compelling price and after very excellent development work from both uh, Croc and Laurent Pouchin, uh, who did very, very good work in claustrophobia. And so this, I think, is the definitive edition, warts and all. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm very glad I was able to sit down to claustrophobia with you. So what's, I just want to go into claustrophobia. Let's little... Just so people know how you do your roll, a number of dice equal to the figures you're controlling if you're playing the humans, the humans, and you're going to slot them in one through six and their abilities, they're all going to change depending on what, what you rolled. And then the bad guy, they roll some dice and they get to, you know, depending on what they roll, they all get to do a variety of abilities. And 
where the other hook is, is the fact that when you take wounds, you're going to be blocking these, so you might not roll the correct dice. And the other very interesting thing that this game does is that almost every map tile has an icon on it that will give it some sort of special ability that will sort of, you know, change how you're going to play. And that's a, a very interesting way how it works. And that is Claustrophobia by Monolith Games, originally by... It was originally by Asmodee back in the day. Back when Asmodee was actually a publisher rather than an all-consuming conglomerate. Got to play another game of Pax Renaissance. Pax Renaissance was introduced to a couple of new people at my insistence because that is the way of things. It was agreed that this obsoletes all other games and that their our previous ranking system needed to be obliterated so as to accommodate for the genius and beauty that was Pax Renaissance. I, I'm exaggerating. It was, a little bit. It was a very good game. It was ended... But, and again, I, I mentioned this so as to give you a sense of the texture that you get out of a game of Pax Renaissance. It was ended when a peasant result in, revolt in the Papal States instituted a Republican democracy, uh, whereby their new code of laws ushered in a new realm of enlightenment for Europe. So a lot of texture, a lot of detail. It's hard to quibble too, too much about a game that lets you do stuff like that. And it was, uh, it was nice. I think I'm getting the rules explanation for Pax Renaissance down to a subtle art form. And... I hope that I've found at least one or two other people that are now willing to to, to consider playing again, and uh, that was my experience with Pax Renaissance. Nice. Let's talk about a game. I'm uh, I, I, warning. I'm going to gush for a little bit, and I think that you, Walker, will be tolerant of this because you're going to be a little bit envious. I think I got to play the retail mistake, a heyday of a bygone era that would never ever happen again. It was an absurd miscalculation on the part of many people. I got to play Hero Escape. Very nice. Big map involving uh, three master sets and a couple of other terrain. Heroescape was a fully pre-painted miniatures game put up by Hasbro in the mid-aughts with this beautiful terrain system where we had these plastic terrain pieces that interlocked and stacked together and you get this beautiful 3D fully painted uh, terrain set. And on top of that, the game is actually good. It's not perfect. It's mostly a dice chucker, but even in the context of a dice chucker, it's a great dice chucker. We had uh, Nilfheim versus Braxis, two huge dragons, both from uh, Ragnar's Vision, I think it was. M- great, great units. We had Massachusetts, uh, sorry, not, not the Massachusetts fourth line. We had the repaints of the Massachusetts fourth line. We had the uh, British infantry fighting off against the Krav Maga agents. It was, it was, it was so good. Yeah, that's how I explain it to people. It's like that Star Trek episode, you know, where they teleport in all the, you know, heroes from different times. Like you have, they had uh, Lincoln and, and all these different <laughs> people and they had to fight each other, right? So that's what, this what Heroescape is. They, you know, they bring in robots and orcs and, and ninjas and, and like he said, the you know, musketeers and you just pick from this huge array of different characters and they give you, you know, you pick a point value. So you pick this, you know, montage of crazy characters and they just, you know, mosh together in the middle. And it is a fantastic dice chucking game. And this was sold at like Toys R Us and Walmart back before those places even sold things like Pandemic even. And so as we were, as we were playing, my, the, the game, my gaming partner and I were just remarking, like, I can't believe they sold this. I can't believe that this was ever made, much less at the price point that it was. And it happened just at the right moment where transport from China was sufficiently cheap, but wages were sufficiently low that you could get pre-painted miniatures. Anyway, not that we want to get involved in the, the rights and wrongs of, of international labor issues, but... I now have a, a massive Heroescape collection, and my sincere recommendation with respect to Heroescape is uh, lift with your legs, engage your core, don't lift with your back, and 
spent a while setting up a beautiful map. And, oh man, it was just so vision. It was it was such a joy to play the game again. It's been far, far, far too long. Remembering all those subtle bits of strategy that again, not the deepest game in the world, but there is some strategy to be had, some tension and trade offs with respect to where to where to play your your order markers, and getting to play with beautiful dolls and just getting like the satisfying clack 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 of your massive dragon moves across this huge field of that lone soldier holdout that is not doing you anything but is sitting on a glyph and so your opponent doesn't know if it's worth the bother to go and exterminate them. Ugh, I had such a good time playing Heroescape Walker. It was far too... We, we need to play Heroescape. I agree. We absolutely need to play Heroescape. So my last game is Scythe. I got to play a six-player game of Scythe and it really showed how because there was two new players, it, it showed how because it's like a, a steady... Uh, growth game. It's like you all start in your base and you said suddenly, you know, you slowly creep out. It's a very good game for first time players because, you know, it gives them that time to understand how things are working. They get to see how, what other people are doing and how the game system works. And then, and then the grit of the game starts and they're sort of up to speed. So that's a great part about Scythe. Still love it. Still, we didn't play with the airships just because, like I said, there was two new players and there were six of us. So I just thought it would add that much more time and painfulness yeah scythe is good for new players because even though so it's one of those no luck gradual incremental games some people have described some people don't like the pacing of scythe and i can completely sympathize with that it's one of those great games where new players don't have a chance of winning they don't have a snowball's chance they won't feel it though <laughs> unlike other games like tiger and Euphrates or even something like Heroescape, where it's very clear when you're having your your face caved in repeatedly in scythe you might be scoring less than a fifth of the points of your of your neighbor or of your opponent but it's not going to be painfully obvious until the game ends and by that point it's over so yes and you've, you're still having fun at what you're doing absolutely you have your own little civilization you know you're bringing in the crops and your hero's going out on these crazy adventures where he's eating the farmer's geese and, and and, you know, stealing mechs and stuff. And so overall, you know, it's not the greatest game, but it is it is a, a fairly balanced and fun to play game. And that's Scythe by Stonemeyer Games. Finally, another game I got to play last week, which is a game that was requested by a couple of our listeners, is a game called Newton. And this is a Euro game by Simone Luciani. He of uh, the co-designing team of Simone Luciani and Daniel Tashini, who did things like Tolkien and the Voyages of Marco Polo, which is definitely our favorite of his output. Newton is very reminiscent of Voyages of Marco Polo in that at the start of the game, you've got a couple of voyaging tracks where you can wander around and trigger bonuses as you go to various places. Not content to ju just do that once, though. It also has a third track, which is just a linear track that you go along, and then another map that you could voyage along, which has different paths that don't intersect with each other. So basically, uh, I hope you like... Yo, dog, I heard you like to travel. I put these tracks in so you can track while you track while you travel. And I honestly thought that Newton was fine, it was okay, but there's no player interaction, like none. I, like, like, none. The only thing that happens is, on vanishingly rare occasions, you can get to a Benny first before other people do. But most of the things you can just share. And the action selection was fine, and it was, you know, there were some interesting issues of trade-off and escalation. But it was one of those games where there's a whole bunch of different victory conditions and a whole bunch of different engines that you can turn to to try to produce points. They didn't feel especially well-balanced, and they didn't feel necessary or interestingly different, right? So there's one track that an opponent ran up and another track that I ran up. The track that I ran up gave me literally five times as many points and wasn't 
mechanically super interestingly different from the track that my opponent ran up. And so at the end of the day, I'm left looking at a game like this and saying, why? It just doesn't really, doesn't really do much. And again, it's really similar to the Voyages of Marco Polo. So I really can't recommend that anybody try this in lieu of, of Marco Polo. If you didn't like Marco Polo because it was too clean, then maybe Newton's for you, I guess, sort of. If you thought that the action selection was too interesting in Marco Polo, but the, 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 the board needed to be busier, so you want a, a more a more simplistic action selection and a more complicated board, I guess maybe, but I'm now describing a whole bunch of design philosophies that I can't abide. So that was my experience with Newton. I didn't, I didn't strongly dislike it. I enjoyed my time playing it, but it really didn't feel compelling to me on the several different axes. And so that was my impression of Newton. So that's what we, the games we played last week. Now on to the news and why it doesn't matter. So, uh, first off, this is this is kind of sub-news. Uh, I, I can only point you to the forum thread to try to find it. Uh, the designer of Earth Reborn, Christophe Belanger, who has also done a lot of other interesting stuff like Dungeon Twister and Archipelago, very, very interesting designer, in the context of his new Kickstarter that has not yet been fulfilled, teased that there is going to be the opportunity for more Earth Reborn stuff, more characters, more scenarios, more terrain tiles, more of everything. Earth Reborn, for those that are unaware, was a fascinating two-player skirmish-type game with subsystems upon subsystems. It was had this somewhat innovative search mechanism where you could go and try to rummage around for things and what you might find was thematically linked to the room that you're rummaging around in. If you want to find the command key card, you're probably not going to find it in the barracks. You probably better go find it in the office of the commander or whatnot, and you're not going to find an assault rifle hidden somewhere in the toilet. You better go to the armory for that. Anyway, without you know, setting up different decks. It was all really cool. You could torture prisoners for information and all manner of other things. And there was this weird sort of notion of piloting a mech. Anyway, lots of interesting ideas, perhaps maybe even too many ideas. But it had a lot of variety in that sense, but it didn't really have a whole lot of characters. And so as a result, generally speaking, you say saw the same characters over and over and over again. Not that it necessarily needed an expansion, but just to say that it had room for it. Anyway, for years, people have been asking for an expansion. For years, people have been asking Monsieur Belanger to uh, kickstart something or get things together. And the entire time, he's always said, well, you know, I've got lots of ideas, but uh, nothing's in the works at the moment. So finally, he shows up on Board Game Geek last week and has basically said, well, you'll have your wish soon enough without providing any further details or having shown up again to comment in, uh, on specifics. So I'm just mentioning this so that you can get your hopes up. So there might be more Earth Reborn in the near future. Cool. In other uh, brief news, the uh, Kickstarter for the latest expansion to Too Many Bones is up. It's going to be up for the next couple days. As of the time of recording, it's called Splice and Dice. The biggest thing that they're offering that in- intrigues me is a new gear lock that is, in fact, four weaker gear locks operating in concert and uh, a huge box that will fit in the Calyx to hold everything. I actually remarked... My coolest thing that I'm looking forward to is that you get to look at the friends of the designer, how they're depicted on all the all the, all the the characters. It's... It's not as bad as it could have been. You know, the whole, like, friend insert art in, in character portraits. It's more sophisticated than most. But, yes, it is clearly the case that, that people have been inserted there. But it's not the first time. They've done it before in the series. So. Yes, that's true. Anyway, I'm just looking forward to the, the, the one big box that's going to hold everything. That is what I also am actually looking forward to because I do hate multiple box games. And I love it when they all fit into one. So, so there's a game coming out called City. Skylines, and it's by Cosmos Games, and it's a cooperative city-building game. So that part I'm really looking forward to. Like, there's uh, I have this weird fascination with cooperative games for some reason, just because they sometimes I'm really looking forward to the day that we 
find a mechanism that we can use that's not random card draw for uh, co-op games. Because that's the only mechanism, really, that these cooperative games have to go against you, is that there's you're going to be drawing off a random deck or you're going to be drawing some random dice because that's the only way that they can fight you. So I'm looking forward to seeing if there's a really interesting uh, hook to City Skyliners by Cosmos. I am certainly enthusiastic about another small card game from Reiner Knizia. It is called... <clears throat> now, this is, I think... This is not a pronunciation issue, all right? I, pronunciation issues have been a bugbear of this pod... Well, of me, for as long as we've been doing this podcast. I think it's called Karate Tomati. It's spelled Karate Tomat, but I don't think it's Karate Tomat, and I don't think it's Karat Tomat. I think it's Karate Tomati. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. Anyway, feedback welcome, actually, because I, I don't... Anyway, this is about... Uh, martial arts practicing vegetables, which is a compelling theme. Very. The reason why I'm excited about it, legit, is not just because it's a uh, Rainer Knizia game with an absurd theme, although there are plenty of those. It's that it is a further refinement of the central sort of game of chicken that he first introduced to great fanfare in Taj Mahal, and that I think he refined in Beowulf the Legend. Beowulf the Legend is one of my top 20 games. I think it's a marvelous game of chicken. But one of the problems with Beowulf the Legend is that it has turn order problems. Karate Tamati has basically the same element of hand management and card play of staying in the, uh, uh, an auction, but it's simultaneous play, so you don't have those turn order problems. It's got an interesting tiebreaker mechanism, and it's, it's, it's got another um, interesting bit of the scoring mechanism that people like from High Society or even Cleopatra Society of Architects, where at the end of the game, whoever has the lowest score by some metric just loses outright, and then whoever has the most victory points from le- leftover wins. And of course, here it's knives, because if look, if you're a kung fu practicing co- uh, corn cob and you don't have any bladed weapons and well, your man. opponents have more, uh, clearly you're not going to triumph. So this is this is thematic integration at its finest. I am absurdly enthusiastic about Karate Tamati. Sounds like a fantastic title. Another one that you'll never be able to search on on BGG because, you know, you'll never spell it correctly. There used to be a video game, an RTS called Company of Heroes. It was a fantastic World War II style game, and they're implementing it into a board game on Kickstarter. All the models look fantastic. They are leaning heavily on the actual mechanics of the RTS, of of the computer game, so I'm looking forward to seeing how they integrate that and how you get this slow build up of troops and tanks and and maneuverability on the board. So definitely check that out. I'm sure it'll still be up. And that is Company of Heroes. I encourage you to spend your money to get this because I'm actually, I hate real-time strategy games in the electronic format. I'm just no good at them and I don't enjoy them. But board game implementations of real-time strategy games, Ares Project, Codex, things like that, I genuinely enjoy. So Don't worry, I, 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 I conned Huey into doing it. Huey is a good man. Huey is a good man. Are you sure it's Huey and not Dewey? It is. Well, I have Dewey here, and you said it was not Dewey. It was Huey for the electronics. It's the other way around. You so thank Huey, Dewey. and it's actually Dewey. Oh, I, well, I wrote Dewey, so I wrote it correctly. I just said it wrong. Look, if you're not going to value your friends enough to refer to them by the fake made-up epithets we made for them. I, I apologize. I don't really I, I, I don't really care for either of them. <laughs> 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 On the topic of video games that are being made into board games, uh, IDW is making a Metal Gear Solid game, and this is the first one when it was only incredibly crazy as opposed to ludicrously insane crazy as the series continued. 
And uh, I got to say, there's a number of interesting things going on here. And I mention this not because I'm particularly enthusiastic about the game. But here's the first thing. It's being designed by Emerson Matsuuchi, who did Spectre Ops and has done a number of other interesting things like the Century games. Well, Century is not particularly interesting, but they're successful, which I guess passes for interesting in some contexts. And this is another stealth game, but this one's purely co-op. And he says it has nothing to do with Spectre Ops. Stealth systems are sometimes interesting. I mean, so far, I think the best stealth system was implemented in the only game that matters, Seal Team Flicks. But who knows? Maybe this will be potentially compelling. And I also realized uh, when reading about the announcement that how times have changed. About 10 years ago, any time there was any licensed project, everyone would wave their hands and say... It yeah. will obviously be yeah. terrible. You just roll their eyes and go, oh my god, this is going to be a train wreck. Right. But now, this is just two two video game licenses as an example that people are like, hey, this might be good. And, you know, reputable designers are being attached, mainstream uh, developers. Now, granted, there's still lots of cash grabs like Steamforged games churning out endless cycles of, well, not even really churning them out, but endlessly pledging for endless cycles of, of, of license tie-ins. But I'm, I'm kind of buoyed by the fact that licenses aren't automatically dismissed as awful. Uh, it is, however, $135, which is a lot of money. And usually when we spend that kind of cash, we're expecting a Kickstarter project with 17 trillion stretch goals. It is not being launched on Kickstarter. It's being pre-ordered through normal retail channels. But it's a lot of money and not a whole lot of plastic inside. Now, I realize that's a poor metric for how much value you're getting, out of, getting from your money. That, there's a whole lot going on with this announcement of the Middle Gear Solid game, suffice to say. I'm probably not going to buy it, but I'm curious to see how it's going to turn out. So I'm, I'm definitely curious to hear people's impressions. All right, my last game. I'm going to set the stage, Mark. It's, it's another post-apocalyptic the world has been destroyed, and, and I'm there. And, I live in Kingston. Vegetation. I, is, I already know what it's is, like is, to live is, in a wasteland. It's growing over everything, and the humans are all well, maybe all gone. There's none on the cover, and all the animals have turned into these anthropomorphic beings, and now they're are trying to survive. So you're you're playing these animals, and you know the pictures of you know of this you know nice little white mouse, and it's got you know the ballpoint pen uh, spear and it's all decked out and you know stuff and you have to survive you know this you know wasteland with your little animals and i i can't wait to play this game <laughs> so it's by plaid hat games it's called aftermath look it up and it looks like it's going to be lots of fun finally i have some news from the world of jim felly and devious weasel games jim felly and devious weasel are the people that have put out shadows of malice they put up amused they put up door the lesser houses jim felly is probably the designer that i find the most interesting in terms of his output because it's always genre defying and iconoclastic in that he clearly doesn't care about trends. He doesn't care about marching to the beat of anyone's drummer than his own. And it's always interesting stuff. Not always to my taste, but always super interesting. We, we both really like Door of the Lesser Houses. That's probably my favorite of Jim Felly's designs. Uh, but his next project, which is probably going to be uh, not available for some time, but I've, I've seen the early rulebook of, and I just wanted to let people know, it's called The World Reapers. And the subtitle is, and I quote, A Game of Overpowered World-Eating Cosmic Frogs which is just a subtle reminder that Jim Felly ain't about to cash in for nobody. <laughs> He's not about to compromise his vision for anybody. This is a game about a two-mile-high, invulnerable, immortal frogs that are basically devouring a universe. Now, we've both talked about that obscure Stephen King novella, The Langoliers, right? Correct. I kind of get the impression of The Langoliers in a sense. I mean, not in not in the sense of, like, weird Pac-Man things, but, like, imagine The Langoliers with two-mile-high godlike frogs. 
and you have to manage the order in which they swallow things. And if they get punched real hard, they might vomit up some of the terrain that they've swallowed. And then you could deposit it in a vault. And there's this spatial element there. Anyway, I don't want to get into, into too many details about the gameplay elements because all of this could change. And I haven't played it. I've only seen the, the, the starting documentation. But uh, I always love hearing about Jim Felly projects because it's like the imagination and creativity in, in that guy and in that team is always amazing. So look forward to more news about overpowered world-eating cosmic frogs. We are your world-eating overpowered cosmic frogs news source. Yes. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. And that is the news and why it doesn't matter. Ribbit. I think you should take about 20% off the top there, Super Chief. There, Super Chief. Gotcha. All right. So this is rule books that are crazy complicated or way too long or the explanation for the rules take much longer than the game actually takes or is the game actually worth all that it takes to get it to the table and i suspect like many previous weeks and this is very unusual for me i'm going to be playing the role of the optimist and you are going to be playing the role of the pessimist maybe when i was was trying to make my list i I was i had to you know i was desperately trying to come up with games that i liked right because i didn't want to just you know like start naming off all these games that i hated and you know you know I you know put them on this list. Just Our listeners I didn't come like for a certain anyway. amount of bile, and when I'm the one who's all sunshine and roses, then I think the dynamic is broken down. It's so true. So, so sometimes just, you have to step up to the plate and hate everything. Uh, there's there we go. The first three games on my list that I love. So it's one we just talked about: Batman Gotham City. What a bear to get to the table. Oh, what yeah. a bear of a rule book, right? It's this huge rule book that repeats things over and over again with endless and, tables. And, except the and, things that matter. Things that matter are often true. said once and, and the things that don't are often repeated. And examples that don't match other examples and, and hundreds of symbols. And, and every scenario has a map that you have to go to the back of the map books to and you have to explain to everyone where all the different levels are and what are walls and what aren't walls and all the things you can jump back and forth to and and like I said in the review like if this is a game that a group plays over and over again all of these problems don't matter but in this new board game thing I don't think that our bubble is different from anybody else's bubble where a lot of new games are cycled in this is a big problem. I remember the last time I taught Batman Gotham City Chronicles, and I got the rules explanation done, and I got the setup done. I thought, oh, that wasn't so bad. Because, you know, the rules explanation isn't bad, and in terms of setup for uh, a minis-type game, it's not, it's not terrible, it's okay, especially the way they've uh, carefully considered how to store things. So credit to them for that. And then everyone starts asking about what the characters can do. And they say, well, how does this special ability work? And how does that special ability work? And then you look down as the overlord at the seven different enemy types that you have, and you realize that each of them has three different special abilities. And then the real rules explanation begins. Exactly. Because the game isn't super short. The game is, you know, about easily about 75 to 90 minutes, even for the relatively short ones, if you've got a, a full complement of, of players. You know, the two-player scenarios are shorter than that because, you know, there's less, less to maneuver. Once everything is taken into consideration, though, you're absolutely right. And... I, I, sometimes I think you're being a little cynical with respect to the extent to which we're driven by the cult of the new, because just looking over, uh, you know, the games that we played over the course of the past week, there are some games that are 15 years old that we regularly get to the table. Uh, well, not regularly, but but s- somewhat regularly. And then there are games that are three years old that we get to the table every few months or so. So it's not like... True. I, what, what I mean is, like, there are these games that I don't, I don't want to say so well-designed, but where the mechanisms just so make so much sense and the rule books so well laid out that 
you don't even have to pick up the rule book. You just bring it back out. Mostly Euros, though, to right. be honest. It's true. Where Batman Gotham City is not one of those. So even if it makes it into the rotation once a month, it's still going to be a bear. Sometimes Euros really do have that, that virtue. Uh, definitely the case for Hansa Teutonica. If you've played Hansa Teutonica once... Chances are excellent. You might need to be reminded of some of the subtle details, but you're going to be remembering right away that, okay, I place cubes to connect things to get these offices. There you go. You're off to the races. So it's not uncommon in the context of minis games. So let's talk about minis games. I think the paradigmatic example of a game where the setup takes longer than actually playing is Heroescape, right? I have that on my list. Yeah. I thought you were going to to actually, you know, jump the table if I mentioned Heroescape. Because, you know, it, no. it, this might be a negative... You might take a negativity to yeah. the subject. Well, look, here, here's where I've come to come to grips with Heroescape. I have to regard the setup as part of the, part of the playtime. It definitely is. It really is part of the experience. It's much like uh, uh, any miniature game you play or any uh, role, maybe role-playing game for some people, right? Where, you know, making the character and getting ready yes. is the fun or creating your army, seeing the combos, painting, where it's, a, it's all part of the experience, whereas playing it is not the whole thing. Yeah, Heroescape for me is slightly different from other tabletop minis games. When I'm setting up a tabletop minis game, I'm usually overly concerned with things like play balance and sight lines and things like that. And so I'm not really internalize it as part of part of playing the game. Uh, but when it comes to setting up a hero escape terrain, I'm following a recipe. Usually now some people make up their own boards and that's fine. More power to them. I am not that person. I, there are millions of beautiful maps that are available online, whether official or unofficial. And so I always follow them and crazy. Oh, really? You're one of those. Oh yeah. Well, I take time looking at things to set up, right? Just, Oh, but they're Just so nice. A, yeah, but you can make one nice ones yourself. You make rivers and snowscapes and tie them all together. In yeah. And a lava river. And... Well, you think they're, you're more creative than the community of Heroescapers? Oh, yeah. oh wow. Sure. Okay. I don't know. I've never looked at them, so I'm sure they're well, great. There you go. Well, I'm sure they're great, <laughs> but but the time it takes to try to follow them, I think I, it's just way so much faster. I guess I'm not in a position to criticize you for dismissing things that you've never seen when I'm dismissing your maps and I've never seen those. Okay. No, I just have to, when playing Heroescape, and I was able to do it this way, it's like, I am now playing Heroescape before there's anything on the table. When it comes to other tabletop minis games, I, I don't know why I'm not able to do that. I'm at least able to do that with respect to things like army creation. As I've said, if, if you consider army creation to be part of the game, I've probably logged more hours of Infinity than practically anything else because of the amount of time that I thought about tweaking squads in preparation for a tournament or just seeing if I can get a new interesting build uh, out the door. But the same is true of Heroescape as well because the army creation is pretty good. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a bear. I'm actually, what I'm actually going to do over the course of the coming week, just again to spend more time with my beautiful Heroescape collections i'm going to try to sort my terrain in such a way that setup will be facilitated later on especially since after i set up uh, my gaming partner needed a refresher i was able to get a full rules explanation for heroescape in about two minutes flat (laughs) well the way i played heroescape was i'd build a gigantic map that usually could be divided into three sections and it would always stay up I, i can't remember ever playing Maybe once or twice playing Heroescape out of the box, saying, okay, let's play Heroescape, and then we got it out. Yeah. It would always be set up already. That's and, the way to do and it. And we'd pick up, you know, pick a section of the map and play on it. And the biggest part of Heroescape is, are the units. 
I would have them laid out across the entire, like I'd have tables set up across the whole end of one of the rooms because there are so many different units because that's the whole part of the game, seeing the vast array of choice and, and putting this, like, you know, the dirty dozen goon squad together that you're going to bring and you can pull it from all these different factions and all these factions sort of trigger off each other in a way and you can get some sort of synergy going together. It's just a fantastic that way game that way, and, it's, and it won't give you the same feeling if you're like rifling through some cards and say, "Oh, they look kind of neat" or whatever. Seeing them all laid out really, you know, brings the game together. Well, this is rapidly turning into the all hero escape all the time. Oh, it really is, so, yeah, and, get... and that's not a, no, 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 no. I don't think that's a problem. I think that this is overdue, if anything. But so I, I will say two things with respect to unit organization that I found helpful. There are a variety of documents that just catalog all the army cards and. Uh, very helpfully identify what units they synergize with because for those who haven't played HeroScape, you might encounter a unit that says if your army consists of all disciplined characters, then you get this bonus. And then it'll it'll there'll be this little insert on these documents to say, here are the disciplined units. So you don't have to go cross-referencing them. So that, I think, is a very helpful reference work. It's also, again, it's important to organize things properly. And what I did very early on in my HeroScape collection was I organized my figures in a very particular way. A box for marrow, a box for goblinoids, a, bo- uh, a bag for degenerate scum, which are elves. And all those important things, organization will save your life. And so I'm hoping to do the same thing with terrain, and that will facilitate things. Uh, why aren't we playing Heroescape right now? I know, that's a great this question. Is, this is absurd. The bin, why is, are we... the bin is right over there. We could just open it up. <laughs> all right, on to the next game. Man. That, that, the Heroescape show will come to a close, and we'll talk about Catacombs, the, dice, the, the disc-flicking game that we've talked about so very often. Really? I think so. By the time, uh, you know, there's the plethora of characters that the people have to choose... The, you know, the building of the dungeon, deciding how many levels you're going to do, getting the boards out, getting the monster cards, setting up, and then going over all of the rules that are just for a flicking game. I just think it is too much. I, okay, well, whether it's too much or not is a separate question. But to my mind, and this may be an irrational prejudice on my part, when the game is substantially longer than the setup and rules explanation, I'm hard-pressed to say that it's automatically too much. Because the proportion of, even when you play the super abbreviated walker-guided tour of Catacombs, TM and C, the rules explanation and setup is still, you know, a, a mere fraction of well, actually playing I'm the saying, game. I'm saying, we, I'm not taking it as the walker version. I'm saying as a generic how other people are going to play it, Catacombs, I think, is too much. Okay, that's fair. I don't have that experience, but there you go. It's, it's a good thing I remember to talk about Newton in the appropriate segment, uh, because Newton and Teotihuacan and most Feld games actually kind of run afoul of this to a certain extent, not in the sense of rules load, and not even necessarily too, too much in the context of uh, components, but when there's 10 different piles of tokens that you need to sort out, if you're not super on the ball, it can get very overwhelming, especially for games that are, again, reliably about 90-ish minutes. I remember uh, when we when I was first trying to read about Teotihuacan, you were telling me about how you know you wanted to try Teotihuacan, this this new great game. I started reading the rules about three or four different times, and I would just my eyes would glaze over about shuffle and shuffle and sort these tokens, shuffle and sort these tokens and these tokens and these other tokens. Ah. Same thing with Newton. Newton's got so many different kinds of tokens that only give it scattered about the board in the right way. Feld games as well, just endless piles of different chits. And it's just, if you aren't careful, if you're careful, it can take no time at all. But if you're not careful, it can take forever. And especially for, for shorter, quicker Euro games, that I think can be death. 
There's a game like that I was going to put on this list, but I didn't bother, and that is Champions of Midgard. Only because just the other night we brought it out, but then once we had it all set up, some more people showed up and we had to switch games. Ah. And just the fact there are so many decks. Mm. Maybe for normal people... Sorry, not... Normal people? The normals? The normies? Maybe for other groups, it might be... (laughs) That's staying in. It might be different, but... I just, you know, th- you know, start throwing decks at people saying shuffle, you know, and put them where the pitcher is, right? But, you know, there's a Draugr deck, there's the Berserker deck, there's the Monster deck, there's Journey decks for the top and the bottom, there's there's uh, the Traveling deck, there's the Omen deck, there's the Ruin deck. We get the, yeah, we get the idea. And that's not even all of them. There's all these decks. You should take 20% off the top there. Take 20%. Anyway, it's not on my list. I'm not going to go on about it. It's just a lot to start off. I, I talked about this, especially in the context of solo play. In group games, it's bad enough, right? But yeah. there at least you can, as you say, throw a deck of cards and say, shuffle this. If it's a solo game and it's got more than, like, three-ish piles of cards to shuffle, I'm out. I'm out. I just can't be bothered. All right, so next on my actual list is Caverna. Fantastic game. Love Caverna. I think the, the rules load is, is super heavy just because where you can put animals alone is a two-page part of the rule book. And it's not like even a major part of the game. It's just a, it's a small part of the game. But you know all the all the different you know a sheep can go here and a pig can go there unless there's two pigs and a dog. And if you have two pigs and a dog <laughs> in a room and a goat and a and a donkey in a mine, you're anyway, starting you're starting to sound like that taxi cab driver from Brain Candy for those that are aware of the reference. Yes, and and you know sort of planting and plus all the others rule, rules load of Caverna and it's definitely one of the games that we just, we talked about earlier. It's, I I. I have a problem bringing it out and just playing it without the rule book. It's one of those games where I have to refresh myself every time. Well, I think the version that you're talking about is Agricola, right? Because in, both in terms of those weird corner cases and in terms of setup, because Caverna has all those different piles of rooms that you need to separate out and put in the right place. Agricola, you don't have to worry about that. It's just there are these decks of cards, and if you just want to play the simple version, shuffle it out, deal everyone cards, there you go. That's everyone's yeah, advancements. Yeah, I t- actually totally forgot about that in Caverna. Yeah, you have to... Yeah, you have to sort out all those rooms. Oh yes, yeah. all right. Yeah, so that's, like I said, another huge setup time. But I really think I, I, it might be worth it. It's really great. <laughs> so also in the context of worth it, and this is one of those cases where again I have this weird prejudice about ratios of rules explanation to playing time, and I, I think it's unfair to hold against these games that they're really really good. And they're really, really tight. I'm thinking specifically of two card games, both radically different, Pax Renaissance and Door the Lesser, Lesser Houses, both of which I've already mentioned so far. Excellent, excellent games. Very quick, very compelling. In the case of Pax Renaissance, it is not uncommon for the rules explanation to take longer than your even your first game. You know, a game might be over in about 45 minutes, and it's usually that or longer to explain the game. Door as well. Door the Lesser Houses is a marvelously simple game, but you have to walk people through the different distinctions of vilified and disfavored and so on and so forth. Once people start playing, it's very easy. You just start spreading imprecations about people being seen doing inappropriate things with goats. And and everyone past the rules explanation has really taken to Door very well. But again, the explanation usually takes around 20 to 30 minutes, in my experience, and the game itself takes around 45 to an hour. And those ratios feel a bit awkward to me. And I don't know whether that's a tribute to the game or just a fault of the way the systems are presented. Or maybe it's just my fault for taking too long to explain them. I don't know. I just went over my list. I have way too many games here. This is going to be like a three-hour episode, so I'm going to have to cut some. So I'm just going to think I'm going to just play off Just take 20% off the top. I'm going to take 20% off the top and just talk about games that end, like you just said, a game that ends very quickly, but 
with uh, long, I think Cyclades is one of those games. There are many subsystems and there's many attacking rules and the, and the, you know, the mythical creatures and then the, the auctioning. So there's all these subsystems they are all working together. So you have to explain all those and get all the figures out and explain how all the monsters work sort of sometimes. Mm. And then it's immediately as soon as someone builds only three of these things, which usually happens fairly quickly sometimes and the game's over and you know, that, you know, 30 minute to an hour rules explanation <laughs> was almost as long as the actual gameplay. Well, I don't know about an hour's rules explanation for Cyclades. Maybe you need to take 20% off that. But the one thing that is definitely uh, uh, feeds into that feeling, which I often feel with Cyclades, and this is true of other uh, even really good games like Tribune is definitely true of this as well. There's a list of victory conditions that people need to, to crack, and you spend most of the game with none of them. And then suddenly they start going one after the other, falling like dominoes real quick. And that's definitely been my experience with Cyclades. Like, nobody has any Metropolises at all. Metropoli. Metropoli? Yeah. Metro- isn't it metropolis I? Okay, got it. Uh, and then suddenly, you know, someone builds their first one and people are like, oh, okay, well, let's keep an eye. Oh, the game's over. Look at that. So that definitely leads to the feeling of it being precipitous and potentially unsatisfyingly precipitous. That's one of the reasons why when playing games with thresholds like that, like, for example, Pax Renaissance, is I do the good thing as the experienced player and say, by the way, everyone, if nobody stops me, I can declare victory next turn if I do X and Y. So I often I find it salutary for, for people to be a little bit more transparent, especially if they're teaching people the game. But you're right. It, it definitely leads to things feeling a little bit lopsided. Similarly, in terms of really, really long rules explanation in a relatively short game, uh, but doesn't have that precipitous ending problem is Cerebria. We talked about that when we were discussing the game. It's one of those games where, even though it's a relatively detailed, dense Euro experience, setup, rules, explanation, teardown is going to take you only about two hours, maybe two hours, 15 minutes. Now, perhaps as much as half of that is going to be the rules explanation, but then you're off to the races. And it really makes me wish, like in in cases like this, of games like Earth Reborn, uh, Pax Renaissance, of Draw the Lesser Houses, Cerebria, I I really do wish that that we could find a a slightly more stable group that could hold these uh, games together. But it's not even just us. Even even a lot of the more, what did you call them? The normals? The normies. Yeah, a lot of the normies uh, are often interested in variety as well. So it really is a case where you want to find those people that have a good head for rule systems that can hold them from month to month and, you know, go back to some of these more dense experiences with them so you don't have to redo the rules explanation from scratch. Next for me is a game where the rules explanation is fairly long, lots of things going on. The rule book is fantastically written, though, but where when the game actually begins, the rules explanation didn't mean anything because the fire in the control room starts and everyone runs around (laughs) with pants on their head and has no idea what they're doing, hitting buttons that don't do anything, trying to fire lasers with no power and charging engines that are already fully charged. This is all space alert. So there's a lot going on in space alert. There's how, you know, how the androids work and how you fly out into space and how you, how you can do all these interesting, cool things. But none of that matters when the game starts because you let right instead of left or they blocked you on the stairs and it, it suddenly falls apart, but it's fantastic when it does. And that's Space Alert. Space Alert is one of the worst offenders because not only is it the case that the rules explanation is guaranteed to take longer than a game because a game lasts 10 minutes, but then after you're finished the game, you then go to the resolution, which also takes longer than the game itself. We both love Space Alert. Space Alert is fantastic. 
but it's got some barriers, you know, a real-time co-op game with a fair amount of, of, of rules grit. The same, the same is true of Space Cadet's Dice Duel, which you hate and which I absolutely adore. But again, it's a real-time game, and that keeps the playing time down, but the rules explanation is going to be pretty gritty, at least... And, in, and at least in the context of Space Alert, you then get to do the whole resolution thing. Reminds me as well of Stellar Conflict or Lightspeed, the, old, the, the older cheap-ass version. The game itself will take less time than scoring. And so if you don't find that portion of the gradual slow reveal of the consequences of your actions as engaging as the game itself, the game is going to feel like a tremendous drag. So again, it's kind of like you know having to view the setup of Heroescape as part of the game. When you're playing a game like Stellar Conflict, like like. Uh, space alert you have to you have to think of the resolution as part of the overall gaming experience otherwise you're going to be sorely disappointed i think i have an experience one here just to millennium blades is another one which is one of those experience games because i think you know by the time you know you that's huge rules explanation because it is very unique from all all of the games right i think so who, who explained millennium blades to you I think Millennium Blades is, in terms of the, the, the ratio of setup and rules explanation oh, to playtime, sure. is really good because the game. I agree. The game takes a long time to play. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely substantial. It's going to be an exit. It's probably going to be somewhere between two and three hours. I don't know. I, I could explain Millennium Blades in under 20 minutes, I think. No, it's just the, the payoff is what I'm getting at. The, the length of time and the time it takes because there's like multiple boards. And for the amount of game that you get out of it, I just don't think it's there. You just want to rag on Millennium Blades. Exactly. Well, I, that's why I went down my list. I said, oh, I've, okay. I, I liked all these games so far. I What's can't... one of these games that I don't like? There, there's <laughs> Millennium Blades. There we go. I can't complain too much. I did ask you specifically to bring the negativity. Here's yeah. another game that I don't like. Dead of Winter. It's another one where you have you know, multiple decks that you have to be shuffled and placed out and seated and figures that have to be all dispersed out. Also, that you can jump around and mill through these decks for oh, so much fun. <laughs> and that is Dead of Winter, the worst game. <laughs> for all your in depth gaming reviews. Uh, no, uh, I, I agree with you about Dead of Winter. And the specific thing that I think run afoul of, uh, runs afoul of the thing we're talking about, in addition to having all these different decks of cards you need to mill through, is the whole crossroads element of pulling a card and then maybe something cool will happen. It's an entirely random number of crossroads cards are going to trigger. And I've definitely found, based on my experience with Dead of Winter, I've never, re- I've never loved the game. But there's a tremendous world of difference between a game where a whole bunch of crossroads cards trigger, where at least there are interesting things are happening. Yeah, it is a fantastic hook and a yeah. fantastic mechanism Wonderful. Yeah. when it works. When it works. And then we went, once I played two games of Dead of Winter back-to-back, one of them there were crossroads cards triggering all the time. I'm like, oh, maybe this game is better than I remember. And then the next game, I think maybe something like five or six crossroads card triggers. And it was the worst game, as Walker said. So I, I agree with you. They needed to... Uh, this is a case of taking 20% off the top so that they could focus it on what actually worked and what was actually cool. I haven't heard anything good about Gen 7, really, which is so far the only other Crossroads I've only game. heard thing, bad things, unfortunately. E- exactly. So uh, I don't know that we're going to be trying that one, but it's it's a shame because there was a lot of potential in there. And finally, I just went, I looked at a few of my list. I'm just going to go into into co-op games, I guess. Just co-op games in general because I have, I thought of Robinson Crusoe I have on the list, but First Martian will fall into this. Because they're both very punishing. So co-op games that, you know, they have, like, Robinson Crusoe, there's a lot going on. So you have to explain the whole game, all the sub-mechanisms of this co-op game, and then it very drastically and quickly falls apart and you die within a few minutes of the game starting. And that that sometimes is a, a bad experience. Yeah, it's hard because we want, you and I both want difficult co-ops. 
ending a co-op game well, especially a hard co-op game, is tricky. Because if it's hard, but it doesn't end quickly, and you're just in a slow death spiral, that's not fun either. But, you know, that, that's, a, that's a general design problem. I agree with you that it can happen sometimes in Robinson Crusoe and games like that. Say what you want about Xenoshift. I've complained that some, some of the, the, the Era 3 monsters are just unfair and that they can damage you uh, inevitably. It's a pick-your-poison situation because at least then you get to have a sense of escalation and getting to Round 3 and being crushed there as opposed to being summarily executed in Turn 2 of Era 1. But anyway, it's, it's a difficult design challenge, suffice to say. So that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks so much for joining us for So Very Wrong About Games. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach Walker via his email, justrolledadice at gmail.com. That's J-U-S-T-R-O-L-L-D-A-D-I-C-E at gmail.com. You can reach me, Mark Bigney, on Twitter, at The Games You Like. For more public discussion, you can find the So Very Wrong About Games Facebook page, or you can check out our Board Game Geek Guild, which is guild number 3236, and you can find us on Patreon. We read everything you send us, and we'll get back to you if we can. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon. Peace! You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bigney. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. Thanks very much. See you next time. And always, try to be right, but remember you are so very wrong. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.